there is so much for us in the liturgy of Palm Sunday. Um, you hardly need a sermon. There's the, the pageantry that we're all familiar with, the hymns, this dynamic rereading of the Passion story. Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday marks the beginning of Holy Week. And during this liturgy, we read this whole story again in order to be reminded of Christ's final days, of Maundy Thursday, of Good Friday, and then of Easter Sunday on the horizon. And in this retelling of the story every year, we are invited by the Holy Spirit to find ourselves again with Christ as he makes this journey to the cross, demonstrating to the world the fruits of God's redeeming love. Fruits that are nourished by the deep roots of God's redeeming love in the story of God's people Israel. Now, if you've worshipped on a Palm Sunday at a Christian church in the past, you probably have some memory of grabbing a palm branch and walking around your church or maybe your church's neighborhood or parking lot if you grew up in the suburbs, shouting songs with words like Hosanna in them. Well, in the late 300s, around 388 AD, a wealthy Christian pilgrim, a woman named Egeria, traveled from Roman France all the way to Palestine to see the places that she had read about her whole life in the Bible. She's the first person who we know to engage in a Christian pilgrimage to the Holy Land, and her travelogue is among the most important sources that we have for reconstructing how ancient Christians celebrated Holy Week. And you can get a copy of Egeria's pilgrimage uh, on Amazon or even look it up online. Well, when you read the description of Egeria's uh, Palm Sunday liturgy, it's, it's remarkably similar to what we all know today. Extensive readings of scripture, processions around churches and holy sites and the city. She even mentions children reluctantly waving branches while singing Hosanna. All of this 1,700 years ago. Well, when we, like these early Christians in Egeria's time, think back on Palm Sunday, we invariably do so in a way that overlays, overlays two different tellings of the story. One version is told by the so-called Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the other version is told by John. Now, in both versions, the Synoptic version and John's version, we're trying to, they're trying to get across a single point, this moment of the triumphal entry of Jesus marks the, the culmination of Jesus's pre-Easter ministry. It is also the culmination of his life's work, and in many ways, the culmination of Israel's history as well. This is the moment when, in the, person, when the person of God in Jesus Christ comes to Israel, comes to Jerusalem to become king. The kingship of the God of Israel was the great hope of Israel. And we sometimes use big theological words to describe this intense level of hope. And the word that we use is eschatological. And eschatological simply means that it's the kind of thing that we expect to happen at the end of time or at the start of another time. Think about all those sayings in the Old Testament when prophets begin their poetic prophecies with the statement, in those days. Those days are the hoped for days of that eschatological future. And that future is both the future that we desire and the future that we need. 
It's the future where our hope for God's salvation, action, healing, and our own flourishing all live. And in ancient Israel, that future was symbolized by the coming of the Messiah. And it was a future that people palpably longed for. To put it into our own experience, think about how you would feel at the end of the pandemic or about the end of the pandemic. You know it's on the horizon. You can feel it in your heart and you know that in those days, you'll be able to take off your mask and hug your grandchildren or parents or grandparents again. That feeling of hoped for expectation is something like what must have been in the hearts of those who greeted Jesus on the path to Jerusalem that first Palm Sunday. They met him and prayed aloud a verse from Psalm 118 uh, that, that we prayed this morning, and it could be translated as something like, Save us now, Lord. Make us prosper now, Lord. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And yet, while all four Gospels tell us the same story, there are two slightly different approaches taken by the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John's Gospel. For one, John's version is much shorter, and he doesn't give us the added story about how Jesus got on the donkey in the first place. The donkey just sort of shows up. But more importantly, John doesn't mention the cloaks being laid out for Jesus, nor does he describe the people cutting the plants in the field. Instead, he likes to imagine Jesus being greeted by people who are running up to him, waving these huge leafy palm branches, all the while shouting and acclaiming him as king while he enters into the city. John is, as John tends to do, amplifying the importance of Jesus starting his kingship here by including the detail about the palm branches. You see, the palm tree was something of a national symbol for ancient Israel. It was stamped on the back of ancient coins. It was carved into the bronze work at the top of the temple. And the date palms, which grew abundantly in the Judean desert just to the east of Jerusalem around the ancient city of Jericho, were known throughout the ancient world for their sweetness uh, and for their ability to last. So in the same way that olive branches symbolize peace in our time and in the Bible times as well, palm branches symbolized victory, kingship, God's favor, and Israelite national identity. So having Jesus greeted by palms would be a bit like having a bald eagle landing on the presidents of a, uh, the shoulder of a president during an inaugura inauguration. It's, it's weird, yeah, but it's symbolically powerful. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't give us the detail about the palm trees, the palm branches. They're telling the same story as John, but they do so in a slightly different way. To begin with, they situate Jesus on the top of the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives got its name because in Jesus' day, it was thickly covered with olive groves that were tended by scores of farming families. The Mount of Olives, more of a hill really, sits just a 30-minute walk to the east from Jerusalem across the steep Kedron Valley. It's across the way from the hill of Mount Zion where the temple sat. And if you imagine Jerusalem today in your mind, that picture that we often visualize of the shining gold dome of the rock, well, that picture is taken from the Mount of Olives, perhaps in the very spot where Jesus began his journey into Jerusalem that we remember today. 
We can imagine Jesus clumsily descending this steep rocky path from the top of this olive grove covered mountain down through the Kidron Valley. Above him and in front of him looms the temple and above him and behind him are groves of olive trees covering the mountain. As he makes his way down, swaying on the back of this donkey, farmers who are tending the olive groves see him and they recognize in this moment the fulfillment of their eschatological hope. In Jesus, in this unlikely scene, the future is here. God as king is coming to Jerusalem. And so in response, they snap off branches from the abundant olive trees. They take off their outer garments, perhaps the only cloaks or coats that they would have owned. And they lay both of these things before their humble king. Perhaps they do this because they see it as a way of fulfilling what was foretold by the prophet Isaiah. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain will be made low. God as king is coming to Jerusalem and his path is thatched with olive branches, olive branches of peace. Holding these two versions of the Palm Sunday story in your mind, John and his palms of victory, Mark and his farmers taking off coats and snapping off olive branches, what's different to you? Which version do you want to keep in your mind this year as you enter into the mystery of Holy Week? For me, while I'm thankful for John's version and for the way that John tells us the story of God's victory and strength and the power the power through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus that conquers sin and death and the devil. This year, this Holy Week, this Holy Week at the end of our own pandemic, at the horizon of our own eschatological hope, while bullets still ring in our ears from another round of mass shootings in our country. And this week, in this Holy Week, I want to think about Jesus as this humble king a king heralded by farmers in a field, a king whose fine carpets were made by the loving donation of a work person's cloaks and whose arrival wasn't heralded by palms of victory, but by a lovingly thatched patch of olive branches symbolizing the pathway of peace. So I want to conclude with a simple question for us to contemplate in this week ahead. Palms of victory or olive branches of peace, which will we hold in our hands and in our hearts this Holy Week? Amen.